We're going to talk about kids today. After they leave, we'll talk really bad about them. And no, we're not. We're Actually, we've got something for the kids today. Uh, but I want to talk to you about what that looks like. We've talked last week. If you missed it, we talked about guidance for a Christian home, part one. This was for the spouses. Today is part two, guidance for a Christian home for the children. What I'd like to do, if you missed it last week, by the way, you should probably back up, get online, and listen to it. Uh, You might walk away from that scripture feeling a little bit differently than you felt about it before. I would like to talk about the word for, because I'm talking about this being for the children. We need to define this term. I know, you think, I already know what it means. Why do you want to talk about the word for? I think it matters. So Webster's definition, I'm going to give you a few. There's a bunch. There's not just one definition for the word for. There's a lot of different usages. So I want to give them to you. The uh, JC will catch up uh, at some point in time because uh, the preacher got here right as the service started. I did not give him time to load it on the computer. That's why you're not seeing notes yet. It's my fault. But you'll, you will uh, understand this. So preposition, here's the first definition. Used as a function word to indicate purpose. And it's like this. Here's how, here's how I would use it. A grant for studying medicine. See, there's indicates a purpose and a function. Here's another definition. Used as a function word to indicate an intended goal. For example, left for home or acted for the best. See how there's a little slightly different use there. Here's another definition. Because of... For instance, can't sleep for the heat. See, that's a little different use. Here's another one. Used as a function word to indicate suitability or fitness. Like this. It's not for you. See, how, see that's differently. We're, each time we're using it differently. Here's another example of that. Ready for action. It's not on there? Oh. Uh, you have to go to the file that's dated today, 1017. Should be a whole folder. And go from there. You don't see it. Okay, then. Well, let's go without notes today. You want to take some notes. There's nothing in the folder? It's an empty folder. Well, the preacher has messed up twice in front of you today. That's okay. We'll do it the old-fashioned way. It's almost like singing out of the hymn books. So just be ready to take notes because uh, there's not much he can do if, I, if the preacher doesn't give him the proper file. So a few more notes on what prepos- the preposition for means. On behalf of, like representing. Here's an example. Speaks for the court. See, that's a little bit different. 
Here's another one. In favor of. All for the plan. See how that's differently? But, but I want you, while I'm saying this, start thinking of this is for the children. In favor of. See how that works? A lot of these usages can be applied to today's text and how we're using it for the children. With respect to is another definition. For instance, concerning. Here's an example. A sticker for de- a stickler for detail or heavy for its size. So notice this this application for the children concerning the children. See how that works? This word for is significant because it's in it's in the title of the message. And here's the last definition by the way in Webster's today as of today's date it's the 15th definition of the word for. In favor of, overall, in favor of, and it can be used like this. I voted for her. So think about this. It's in favor of the children. It's concerning for the children. And and so many of those definitions fit exactly what we're doing today. Guidance for the Christian home for the children. And I know that the children just left us. They just went out the door into another building and they can't even hear what's going on. If you feel like there's a benefit for the children to hear any of this, hey, it'll be online. You can play it for them or you can just be a mom or dad and talk to them yourself because the scripture is so good for all of us and especially for today's text and sharing this stuff for the children. It starts with something that would make children uncomfortable if they were in the room. You ready for this? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. That's where we're going to start. I'll get ahead of you if you're not there. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Oh, wow. That's kind of heavy-handed sounding. It was definitely not a trendy thing. I mean, we live in a state now where I just spoke to a mother yesterday who's trying to raise her children on her own. Her 14-year-old child, she's trying to find out where she is. So she con- she's, she's talking to her own, their family doctor, and she's telling the family doctor that she's getting the medical texts about you know, what her daughter's going through. And she says, I'm getting the text, so I don't know if she needs them, but if you, might, if you might send them to her. I don't know if she even has a phone or anything like that. I don't know what's going on. And the doctor said, you're getting her texts? You're not supposed to be. So she started asking questions. Are you seeing my daughter? Is, is, are you? You know where she is? Doctor can't tell her. This is the state we live in. It's weird. It's a, it's a crazy, crazy time. And I thought maybe it would be a good idea for a moment because tomorrow is a very difficult day for a lot of parents. I don't know if you've thought about this, but there's a whole lot of state employees that aren't working tomorrow because of a, a government overreach known as a vaccine mandate. I have the vaccine. Don't, don't judge me. <laughs> but there's a lot of people out of work tomorrow 
people that have planned for I, one particular man that I know. He's uh, been working for the state for 33 years, been planning on his retirement, and uh, he got a swift kick in the pants out the door. Do you mind if we stop and pray for just a moment? Lord, I lift up to you the families that are going through very difficult times right now, not just because of this particular vaccine mandate, but because of so many other things that seem to be at war against families and at war against Christians. God, I lift up to you the children. May they not be casualties in this war. But Lord, help us as a church to give the tools necessary to the people in our care so that we can reflect your light in this very dark world that needs it so badly right now. God, we know that you can prevail, and may you do that through us. I lift up to you the families right here that are impacted by this because it impacts our church family. And we love all of these people. We love our brothers and sisters. And we don't know what to do sometimes other than to just hand it all over to you. But God, we also know you might have responsibility for us. Show us what that is. Please take care of our family. In Jesus' name, amen. So, children, obey your parents in the Lord. <laughs> That's such a powerful statement. I don't think it would be a negative thing to have that hanging up somewhere in the home if you're raising children. But it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for a reason. Why? For this is right. It's the right thing to do. Problem already. The problem is right and wrong. All right, we're going to, I'm going to need to do something a little bit differently because I designed this whole thing where I depend on the scripture on the back wall and I can't even see my scripture that's in front of me. So, I need somebody to look up 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 to 22. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 to 22. If you can have that ready, somebody raise their hand if they've got that. And I'll get, we'll, we'll get a microphone to you so it gets on the recording. Can we do that too, Dan? Dan was already on it before I said it. Like that, that's amazing. <clears throat> the, has anybody got that? You can raise your hand if you got it. Okay, right on the front row, we got... The next one is Philippians 4.8. Can someone look that up? Raise your hand if you will be willing to read that particular verse. Philippians 4.8. It's also on the front row. And then the last one is Romans 8.28. Could I have someone else be ready to read that? We'll get a microphone to you. All right, right there. Jeremy. Okay, so... Here's what I want to talk about quickly. So once again, I'll give you the scriptures that will be ready, and then I'll talk to you about, uh, we'll, we'll read them. Uh, the first one will be 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 to 22, not yet. Second one will be Philippians 4, 8, and the third one will be Romans 8, 28. I want to talk to you about right and wrong, good and evil, because we live in a world that's saying these don't exist. That's the world in which we live. If I had given the tools to our AV people that they need, 
I would have a yin-yang symbol up behind me right now. I'm sure many of you are familiar with that yin and yang symbol. If you show it to kids, they're familiar with it as well. It's part of video games. It's part of other games. But a yin and yang symbol is an Asian symbol. And it, it's uh, white and black, the white symbolizing good, the black symbolizing evil, and, it, and they go together. And the yin and yang symbol, in my personal opinion, even though it represents good and bad or good and evil, the whole thing is evil. And the reason why I would suggest to you that it's evil is because it's, the symbol is to symbolize, and I was heavily into martial arts growing up, and I still like martial arts, but I don't like the yin and yang symbol because... It symbolizes using good and evil, both. Christians, that's not something we're supposed to be doing. And if you're playing a video game, and if you're going to use evil spells to get what you want in a video game, you're embracing evil. If you're playing some other game and you're trying to incorporate some sort of darkness for your advantage, that's not only selfish, it's also evil. Don't do evil. Christians, this is far from us. But we live in a world that says there's no such thing as good and evil. There's no such thing as good and bad. There's no such thing as right and wrong. That's what people are taught today. So it's kind of like this. If you had a kid in the room and you want to explain it to them, kids are being taught, you know, your, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. So you don't push your truth on me and I won't push my truth on you. Well, the problem is, by simply saying that, you're pushing your, pushing your truth on me. You're telling me there is no real right or real wrong. It's just what you think is right and wrong is, is okay for you, and what I think is right and wrong is okay for me. No, it's not. And we know this because we draw distinctions all the time in our minds. If you're trying to teach a kid this, and this kid is playing with a toy or a dollar bill or a coin... And, you, and the kid says, do you agree with that? Your right and wrong is okay and for you, and my right and wrong is okay for me, and as long as I don't push it on you and you don't push it on me, we're good, yeah. Then you take their toy, take their dollar, or take their coin. They know that's wrong. They just determine in their own head that's wrong, even though you might think it's fine to take their stuff. But they know. That's wrong. You just took my stuff. I didn't give it to you. You took it. That, mean, that means it's wrong. But what if the person standing in front of you says, it's right for me? Well, then they're pushing their values on you. And it just impacted you. So their right and wrong impacts you. There has to be a standard. And there used to be a universal standard, people that weren't even Christian understood that the stuff in this book is, is good. And we based our laws on the stuff that's in this book. It's good. Don't steal. <laughs> and I'll get to the Ten Commandments in a minute. Yeah, don't steal. That's a good thing. And if I decide that what's truth to me and what's reality to me is that right where Dan is standing is a door. If you want to leave this building... You can just go right through Dan, and you can just run right out the building. Try it. So if you do, it ain't going to work. You'll probably hurt Dan or yourself. I can't put, I can't, my right and wrong, my truth, my reality, it has to be grounded in actual reality. But we live in a world where people make stuff up, 
They make stuff up as they go. And it's even done on what we call news. Just make it up. So you might want to spend some time talking to children about right and wrong and good and evil because they are, they are real. So here's some scriptures that have the, the book that we're, from where, which we should be getting all our standards. Here we go with the first scripture, Anthony right on the front row, 1 Thessalonians, wait until the microphone's to you, 521 to 22. you get that? Scripture tells us stay away from every kind of evil, and we're supposed to test and see what is good or evil. All right, so the next scripture is Philippians 4, 8. Bill. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Very good. Did you catch that? Anthony talked about it in the communion meditation. Sometimes we kind of have bad attitudes. If you want to change that, dwell on good, what God identifies as good. One of the easiest ways to do this, and it's not that easy, but one of the easiest ways to do this is to look around the room at your church family. This isn't your whole church family. This is some in your church family. But as you look around the room, you can see people that represent God well. Thank Him for that. Think about those good things and those people that they represent so well. Thank Him for that. And, and, and if you want to take it an extra step further, after this, we have our fellowship uh, lunch, or whatever you want to call it. We're having fellowship. we got some good food. I saw some of it. I smell it. Um, if you didn't bring anything, there's plenty. Please stay and have some sweet fellowship with us. But if you want to make it even better, tell these people that you're thankful for the good that you see in them. And you'll, you'll watch your church family be built up and become even more like Christ wants us to be. I guarantee you. And you're going to feel better doing it. They're going to feel better hearing it. Start trying that. Dwell on good stuff. We just heard some of it mentioned in Scripture. And the last Scripture, one of my favorites, Jeremy's going to read Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, for those who are called according to His purposes. Booyah! <laughs> That's the way it works. And if you want to say it in a way that your secular friends can understand, for, for Christians, it's all going to work out one way or another. Those of us who we're called according to His purpose... We're doing God's will. It's going to work out one way or another because God's going to be sure that it will. Thanks, Dan, for taking care of that. I really appreciate it. I'm going to show you a book. I haven't read it. I just got this, and I'm excited about it. Here, oh, I'm not showing Didn't even. I almost brought it. It's called Dark Agenda. This particular book is written by David Horowitz, and it's about the attack on to try to get rid of Christianity in America. That is, that's going on. This is not, I don't like conspiracy theories. This is for real. There is a concerted effort being made to try to get rid of Christianity 
in America. And it's disturbing. That's why I bought the book, because I want to read some more about it. And this is a defense of Christianity. It's a short read, and it might be a good book for you to read so that you can explain to your kids and grandkids what's going on in the world. They are being inundated. If they are going to public school, they are being inundated. Sometimes it's subtle, and sometimes it's not so subtle. Did you not hear this week? Did you not learn this week that a particular school district, um, there were parents that were complaining about the material in the public school textbooks as being pornographic. Did you hear about that? And the news media has to blur it to show it to you because even though they're saying, this isn't pornographic, they can't show it because it's pornographic. This is the world in which we live. Our kids are being shown pornography in the name of education. It's indoctrination. That's what it is. And it's an effort to, and this has been going on for quite a while. Kids are, whether the words are said or not, they're kind of being taught, I know what your parents are teaching you, but let me tell you the truth. And then they lie. This is going on. I worked in the public school, different levels. Worked in the private school at the highest level. I'm telling you, this is going on. And we need to do something about it. Scripture says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. God says it's right. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. What's that promise? That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Exodus 20, verse 12. I don't know if you know, but this is, that's one of the Ten Commandments. And do you know which one it is in the numbers? It's, it's the fifth one. And I must tell you, it's an interesting because it goes, it goes uh, just before this one, do not murder. And God in his sovereignty saw it fit to say, honor your father and mother just before he said, don't murder. I think it's important. Don't you? There you go. You can read all the Ten Commandments and see that they are all good. What I'd like to do is explain a little bit um, of something. I'm going to say the word testify. This is my testimony. It's a short one. But I want to give you a little bit of what happened to me as as a kid that found Jesus to be very real. After I had floundered and not really been dedicated the way I should have been to God, I discovered I needed to have, and and God got my attention. I didn't give it readily. He got my attention. And when he did, things began to change in my behavior, but more than that. Things changed a lot. Um, I can tell you in my testimony, it was kind of a weird thing. I, uh, I, had, I met a youth minister at church camp. 
uh, I didn't have, I was at a church that didn't have a youth minister, and I met this youth minister, and I, being a Boy Scout, was very prepared, and I went into the restroom, and this youth minister was, I know this sounds too graphic for some people, but he was on the toilet, and he said to me, hey, uh, you have any toilet paper? And I said, I bring my own, yes. I didn't like the church camp toilet paper. I brought my own. Boy Scout brought my own. Uh, can I have some? And I thought, eh, I don't want to do this. I brought my own. But I went ahead and I gave him some toilet paper over the stall, the front of the stall. and said, here you go. And that's how I met the guy. So in case you don't realize it, there, there's all kinds of ways you can minister to people. Um, I, you can have a toilet stall ministry. Just be careful with that. Um, and wash your hands. But he is now a lifelong friend. I, I ended up uh, wanting to go to his church. And they had more kids there. I thought this would be cool. And ended up, I ended up having almost all of my friends going to the church as well. My brother and my sister began going to the church. And we got picked up by the youth minister who drove the church van to pick us up every Sunday morning. One Sunday morning, my stepfather, who was sitting at the table drinking his coffee like he always was, said, is uh, Mike picking you up this morning again? All, all of you? Yes. Why don't you call him and tell him, uh, we'll take you. A what? My, my, this is my stepdad. My, my stepdad is going to go to church? Your mom and I want to take you to church this morning. Okay. I didn't do anything. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't even invite them, but they saw me change. The next thing you know, I'm a kid that's baptizing my brother and my sister and my friends, and then they talked about it. The elders had a discussion and decided it wasn't going to work because my dad weighed close to 300 pounds, and I was a very small person. I'm like, hey, you can't do this. So you're, my, my stepdad wanted me to baptize him. And I was clueless at the time. I'm just living the life of a teenager and thinking I want to be real for Jesus. I had no idea that being real for Jesus was impacting the people around me. And it wasn't until years later until I thought, that's kind of cool, the way that all worked out. That's interesting. I didn't know it would be like that. But it, but it, it was. And I say this to you because it makes a difference when a kid is taught how to have a good relationship with Jesus, it has an impact on everybody around that kid. It did with me, and it came with your kid. And in my situation, I didn't have parents that were teaching me about Christianity. It worked the other way. Isn't that an interesting testimony? Kind of weird. I mean, I mentioned stepfather, then you all go, oh, I mean, you think, ah, oh, he came from a broken home. I did. But Christ, you know, he worked, worked it out. For those of us that are called according to his purpose, it's going to work out one way or the other. And, and I got to tell you, as I got, as I went along, um, in life and started to have to take care of kids myself. This is a huge responsibility. 
You know, the way they're going to perceive God has a lot to do with how they perceive me as their father because God refers to himself as a father. This is important. So I have to, I have to try to do a good job. And I remember going to the first church where I was going to be the full-time preacher. I was new, and I thought... I want to be strategic. Now, I had been preaching at a part-time at another church, and I was milking cows and preaching, and I was the disciplinarian at the local public school. But then I moved into full-time preaching, and I had kids. We went to the church, and we got kids. And I stood up that first Sunday morning after things. This is my first Sunday preaching as their preacher. And I said, I need to ask a favor of you. I don't know you yet, but I don't mean to be insulting, but could you please have your kids stop running in the church building? Because my kids have been taught not to do that. And now I have to get onto them more because they're following your kids running around the church. So please just stop. It has nothing to do with this being a sanctuary because biblically speaking, this is not a sanctuary. This, I, I don't know what you want to call it, worship room, uh, but it's a place where we worship, and, and it's a place that's suitable for worship. But we had an experience in a, this next church I was at, we had an experience where a very nice senior citizen lady took a fall in the church parking lot, and that was a downward spiral that ultimately led to her passing away. And, and when you have, I mean, if you go into a courtroom and your kids are running around, you will be thrown out. This is a place where we worship. Let, let's, let's act like it. I mean, we can have fun, but we have senior citizens that are with us here, and one good bump of a child could send them to the hospital and they could be downward spiraling. And I, I said to this church, could you please have your kids stop doing that because um, they're teaching my kids to do something I've taught them not to do. And by the way, if you see my kids do something, please make sure you tell me so that I can stop them because I don't want my kids teaching your kids bad stuff either. And uh, I had a few people talk to me after church and told them that they felt insulted and that I was pointing it at them and all that kind of stuff. But I got to tell you, we have to do our job as parents and as a father. I, I didn't know any other way to do it other than just to stand up there naively and say what I said. And guess what? Parents started doing a little bit better job of parenting. And by the way, don't, don't judge other people. If you see other people's kids running in the church building, and if, if maybe they didn't see it happen, and give them the opportunity to fix it. It doesn't happen overnight. And kids are kids. Kids like to run. And it's not an evil thing that they are running. It's just that they have to be guided. And it's not easy. Did my kids still run in the church building every now and then after that? Yep. But I corrected them each time. I tell you that because we have a responsibility as a church to represent most preachers in most churches have the worst behaving kids. Have you seen this? 
I tell you what, if, if you're doing it right, if, if the parents are around, the kids behave better. If you're doing it wrong, if they behave worse when you enter the room where your kids are, there's, a, there's the problem. Does that make sense? When the parents enter the room and the kids behave worse, that says a lot. Okay, so let's look at this whole thing. I'm going to look at the whole section. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. It's only four verses. I'm going to read the whole thing. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I wanted to read this whole chunk right now because I want to highlight something. Last week in that section about spouses, wives, the first thing God addressed, the first people, wives. Second thing, husbands. And the emphasis was absolutely on the role of the husband and how the husbands are supposed to set the tone. And then here today, children. There's a whole package, but then God goes right back to fathers. You see what God's doing here? It is on the shoulders of the fathers. Too many times, too many times, you can preach it, you can teach it, you can read it in, right in the Bible, but too many times... The mothers have to do it because the fathers don't. World War II definitely showed the American churches that when it needs to happen, the women step up and they step in because the fathers and the sons went to war and the churches didn't have very many men in them. And so the women ended up doing everything pretty much. Not because they wanted to, but because they had to. And it became so easy when the fathers and the sons came back just to let the women keep doing it because they're doing it well. And a lot of our churches, the men never have stepped in and done their, their part. And it's not because they're not allowed. It's because they just haven't done it. In the homes, it is vital. God emphasizes the role of the men. And here again, he's doing it. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Because this is what happens when a father is too heavy-handed. When a father is too heavy-handed, he upsets the children and can actually cause them uh, to be angry. So don't do that. Instead, you're supposed to bring them up in the discipline, which is another way. A disi- the word discipline always is connected to teaching. And the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Has anybody here tried to work on a new car these days? A newer car, like something that's built in 2000, I don't know, 15 or newer? I can tell you that most automobiles, for us consumers, they're, they're made so that you can't. 
It's made so that you take it back to the dealer and the dealer fixes it. I don't think it's a conspiracy just to cost you more. It's just so that they can make sure their vehicles keep running and they get a good record when, you know, of, of dependability. The dealer fixes everything. So they make it so complicated that if you don't have the right tools, it's going to take you way longer. And it might even be next to impossible for you to fix it because you don't have the right tools. That's the way it works. I don't know if you've ever worked on a project and you, it takes you forever and then somebody finally shows you, well, if you have this tool and you do it this way, you could shave days off of the work you just put into this. Everybody ever experienced that? This is life for our kids, fathers. You give them the right tools and they can accomplish the tasks so much better. You don't give them the right tools and they're just going to flounder through life. You got to have those sit down talks about, okay, the reason why you date is because you're looking for a marriage partner. That's the only reason why you date. You have to have those sit down conversations. Look, when it comes to handling money, daughter, here's how it works. I'm not going to give you money this doesn't, this right here, if you think that I was picking on you, you know that I'm not now because we don't pass an offering plate. So when the offering plate passes, son or daughter, I'm going to give you a coin that you can put in so it'll feel like you're giving. That doesn't teach them giving. You teach them how to earn and teach them how to sacrifice a portion of that to give on their own. That's what you do. You sit down, you have a talk about it. And you talk about the blessings of God will be so much greater if you learn to give some of what you've earned. If you get that ingrained in them, you learn how to save, learn how not to think you have to buy everything you see <laughs> or what your friends have. <clears throat> you have to have these conversations. We don't use those kinds of words. We don't treat people unkindly. We treat people the way we want to be treated. And you use the scripture that, that gives us all these principles. You have these sit-down conversations. And you talk about how if you want to eat, learn to work. And all these different biblical principles, you, if you have these conversations, then your kids will be more equipped to handle life. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And you, you don't have to go that far back in history to find a very cool example. There would be a picture up here <laughs> of um, in the, what's known as the Restoration Movement. And in the Restoration Movement, there's multiple characters, but there are two that are standout characters in history. And that's Thomas and Alexander Campbell. And I got to tell you, they stand out in a, in a bunch of ways. Camp Alexander Campbell, everything he did was gold. He was a successful farmer. He was a successful writer. He was a su successful printer. He was a successful publisher. He was a su successful church planner, a successful public speaker, a successful debater. Everything he touched was gold. Where did he learn this stuff? From his father. Thomas Campbell had this pattern where every day, as everybody would do their chores, their hard work, every day 
they would come back together and sit at the dining table. And after supper, the father would teach the family. And it stuck. And he would teach things like, okay, when you plow the field, you don't simply plow the field and look back and say, hey, how well did I do? No, because then everything will be crooked. You have to mark your lines and then aim to plow. The principle behind that is when you get up in the morning, read your Bible, say your prayers, set your target in front of you so that your lines will be straight. Praying at the end of the day is okay, but it's far better to say, God, guide me and be guided than to just say, God, how did I do? And look back. So he taught principles like this in his family, and because of that, a whole movement took off in this country, and we founded so many of our principles across every state was impacted by that family. There's another family. Um, I met a man a few years ago. I think it was 2003. 2003 is when I met this uh, particular man, he's got an interesting history. You should look it up. He ran for uh, a political position. He, he started off as like a, a janitor in, I think it was a real estate company, and ended up being kind of a, a very successful real estate man. Quite a successful businessman. People started saying, you know, you should run for office because you, you think in a good way. He's a Christian. So he ran for office, and he failed. Ran for office and he failed. I mean, you, just, you, you read his history and you see he just kept failing, kept failing, kept failing. And then, next thing you know, he's successful in office and he's in charge of the House Ways and Means. And he was credited along with Gary Alexander, another politician at the time, of being uh, two politicians who actually fixed Washington state budget. And actually, we finished in the black under them. The man's name is Dino Rossi. Have you heard of him? Yes. Um, got to know Dino Rossi, and if you read his history, I don't know how, where, depends on where you read it, but he was elected governor of our state until um, there was two recounts that got some votes of some uh, people who were incarcerated, which that's illegal, and dead. But uh, he ended up not being governor because of the recounts. But anyway, after he was not elected, well, after he was elected and not allowed to be governor, um, you'd think he would be bitter. He wrote a book, and I got to know him. I already had gotten to know him. I was sitting beside him. I had an event and uh, talking to him. It was interesting. After he was not allowed to be governor, after he was elected, um, I had him come and give a speech to a bunch of Christian men in Olympia, <clears throat> and a big crowd came. It wasn't in our church. Our church couldn't hold it, so we had to rent some space. And when he spoke, he wanted to talk about the election. He said, so after the election, he goes, I, I don't know if you know this, he says, but it, I've been a politician for a while, and as I was running for governor, I had a goal to be home with my family every night around the dinner table. That's a tough goal. He said, I didn't always make it, but most of the time I did. And he said, after the election and after... I was not governor. It was a very tense moment. 
was sitting around the dinner table and I prayed. I usually pray, leave my family in prayer at the dinner table. And he prayed for the person that was given the governorship. And when he did that, something happened. And his wife waited until they went to bed and they're lying in bed at night after it's all over. Did you, did you know what the kids did when you prayed for your opponent that became governor, even though she wasn't elected? Do you, do you know um, what the kids did when you prayed for her? No, what, what happened? My eyes were closed. Well, their eyes were closed too, but as soon as you did that, we all looked up and looked at each other like, what? Why is he praying for her? So he turned that into a lesson the next time to talk to his family, talk to his kids. He, he said, I sincerely hope the best for her. And I pray that God guides her for the, for the sake of our state. Why wouldn't I pray for her? That kind of fathering is what we need. And as I heard this story, I'm thinking, I'm a bad father. I'm a bad father. I don't, I, don't, I don't think like that. Some of that that I've mixed in with the message today, I call it testify. Part of my testimony. You know what would be really cool? Think about this. Wouldn't it be really cool if, if you ha- we have one of our own standing on this stage testifying, maybe even preaching, or on the mission field, Maybe even we hear stories of a family sitting around a table and a father teaching the children. And all of us smiling and thinking, they learned it. They learned it from our church family that that lifted up the Bible. And as bad as this state has become and its attacks on Christianity and the family and so many things, and as bad as this country has become like that, the world is a better place with more Christian families doing what they're supposed to be doing. This message is for the children. And the responsibility is on us. Fathers and mothers, grandfathers, grandmothers, and even associated people with these other families that can build up and support and encourage each other. Let's pray. God, I lift up to you our families. I especially lift up to you the children who could be the casualties of so many things not going very well these days. But Lord, we trust you. We know that you are sovereign, and we know that if we are faithful, you are faithful. So, God, we ask that you would guide us. I thank you, Lord, for the mothers that are here and all that they have done to teach and to take care of their families. Thank you for the fathers that are here and all that they have done to do likewise. And I thank you for the children that have been given to their care. God, help us. May you be pleased with what we do with our children. In Jesus' name.
Amen.